Welcome to Healing Your Families. This month we're talking about emotions. And for many people, this time of year is especially trying for emotions. We're coming to the end of the year. And for those who've set annual goals, they may be feeling that stress of how the time is passing so quickly and they still have so much to do. And there are many holidays this time of year too that add more to our plate, more commitments, more time, more money, more of our energy. And yet we know that when we're able to maintain a calm and confident mindset, we do much better. We make our best decisions, our best interactions, especially in the home, in the family. So let's talk about emotions today, what they are, where they come from, and what to do with them. So the title I chose is Use Your Emotions don't let your emotions use you. Do you ever feel like you've just become, you're overcome with your emotions? It's just like they're controlling you. And it's easy for that to happen. But as we learn how to use our emotions to help us reach our goals, rather than to get in the way and hold us back, we become better people. And when we become better people, we become better parents. So just what is an emotion? According to, to the Merriam-Webster definition, it's a mental reaction subjectively experienced as a strong feeling. And there are physiological and behavioral changes in the body. You may have felt your heart rate increasing, your blood pressure going up, your face flushing. You can feel it through your body. And it can, and long-term effects, it can impact your health. So how many emotions are there? Psychology once assumed that most human emotions fall within the universal categories of happiness, sadness, anger, surprise, fear, and disgust. But recently, a study was done by Greater Good Science Center, the faculty director, Dr. Keltner, suggests that there are at least 27 distinct emotions and they're intimately connected to each other. Now he did this study by making 2,185 short little five to 10 second video clips and each and they were intended to evoke a broad range of emotions. They were viewed by 853 men and women who responded with how, what emotion that video clip brought up. And then from that data, they created this interactive map of emotions. And in his report, Dr. Keltner stated, quote, there are smooth gradients of emotion between awe and peacefulness, horror and sadness. 
and amusement and adoration, close quote. And it really makes sense because we know quite often we can feel more than one emotion at a time. We can be excited and yet also nervous. We can be, have a bittersweet happiness, little sadness mixed in. So it makes sense that emotions are really more complex than we had realized. However, there is also a simpler explanation that I like. Many describe emotions as simply energy in motion. The words emotion and motion have almost identical Latin roots. Motion means to move and emotion means to move out. So if emotions are just energy in motion, are they good or bad? We often think of the positive emotions when we're happy. And there are hormones released in our brain, like endorphins, serotonin, dopamine. They're, they're released when we exercise. There's also oxytocin. That's called the love hormone. This is released in its highest intensity when a woman gives birth or when she's nursing her baby. So these, these hormones can promote a sense of well-being and contentment. And we like those emotions. And some of the emotions we don't feel as comfortable with, we may even deny that we're experiencing them. Have you ever heard someone angrily shouting that they're not angry? However, we, those so-called negative emotions each have a purpose. They can all be used effectively. Take anger. Anger freed the slaves. It got women the vote. Anger has righted many social injustices because it motivates us to take action. We see a situation that we feel is wrong and we wanna do something about it. We wanna change it, we wanna make it better. And that anger provides the energy to do that. Sadness help, helps us understand ourselves. We're able to identify what we need to do what we need to change. Fear can save our life when there's an actual danger. It quickens our senses. It provides that adrenaline rush. When you see a car speeding toward you, it'll heighten your senses to jump out of the way. It's not the emotions themselves that are good or bad. It's how we use them. Back to our example of anger and social injustice. We can get, feel anger over something unfair that has happened, and we can use that anger to join a mob and start throwing bricks, or we can use that anger, that energy from the anger, to organize, to work within the legal system, to change it that way. And sadness, maybe a, someone we care about did something unkind to us and it causes us to feel sad. We can use that sadness to feel sorry for ourselves and spiral down into a deeper depression. Or we can use that sadness to evaluate 
our, our life, what we're doing, the relationship. Are there boundaries that need to be put in place? It's not the emotions that are good or bad. The emotions just are energy, but it's how we use them that matter. And I love this quote from Nikola Tesla about energy. If you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. So where do emotions come from? We talk about someone who made us angry or a situation that really irritates us. And it's easy to assume that emotions come from outside events, that the emotions we feel in any given day will depend on what happens to us during that day. But if emotions came from outside events, then our reactions would be consistent, and they aren't. An incident that may really irritate you one day may not trouble you at all another. Let me give you an example. Pretend you're a young mother getting your children ready so you can get out the door in time to drop them off and make it to work on time. The children are dressed, they're in the kitchen, they're eating breakfast. You leave the room for a minute to go get your car keys. And when you come back, you see that your three-year-old tried to pour himself a glass of milk spilled and now it's all over the counter and running down on the floor. Now let's consider two different thoughts you could have. The first thought is this is the last thing you need. You were already running late. Why didn't one of the older siblings help him? Why did he have to do it right now? And thoughts like that will lead to feelings of frustration, resentment, anger. And when you feel that way, you're likely to start yelling at your children, scolding them, angrily, furiously wiping up the mess. A second thought you could have is, isn't that exciting? He's learning to do things for himself. This is wonderful. And a thought like that will lead to feelings of excitement pride, love for your child who's growing and maturing. And thoughts like that will lead to very different emotions. You may say, good try. Maybe next time don't fill it quite so full. And handing paper towels to all the kids, let's clean this up together real quick so we can be on time. It makes a huge difference. The reality is that emotions come from our thoughts. It's not the incident that causes the emotion. It's our thoughts about that incident. It's how we interpreted it or perceived it. Our thoughts lead to our emotions. Our emotions lead to our behavior and our behavior brings the results that we get. So that statement, change your thoughts, change your life, really has something to it. Viktor Frankl, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, wrote, quote, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, 
to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And here's another quote he wrote. And if you're, as you may remember, Viktor Frankl was a psychologist during the World War II, and he was Jewish. So he ended up being sent to a concentration camp and spending a couple of years there. He saw the absolute worst of humanity. And he saw inmates were starved. They were mistreated. They were not given adequate clothing. And yet he saw some gave up and died. Some became angry and bitter. And some continued to serve the other inmates, even giving away their last crumb of bread. So this statement, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Think about that. You have the power to choose your response. That space between, even if you stepped into the kitchen and saw the milk mess and thought, oh, it's the last thing I need, you can change that thought. You can think, at least he's learning to do things for himself. So let's go through some steps that, there are incidents that trigger. Here's, let's look at a few examples. <clears throat> Maybe you come home from work on a regular basis and you see that your children have fixed themselves a snack and they left food all over the counter in the kitchen. And every time you see that, that just triggers the, why can't they clean up after themselves? Or maybe when you're on a, a Zoom meeting for work, that's when your children choose to start running around the living room and squealing. I like this bottom left picture of a mother with her teenage daughter. You can see in the bottom of that picture, the mother just threw her daughter's phone. Maybe the trigger, that trigger is when your teenagers bring their electronic devices to the table, and that's just so annoying. Or a child having a temper tantrum. Sometimes we just let ourselves become so stressed out with all of the demands on our time, our energy, that we're just overwhelmed. Any of those could be triggers. Identify those situations that trigger you, that cause you to react with anger, to say something harsh and unkind to a family member that you later deeply regret. And consider, make a list of those triggers. Then the next thing we can do is tap into your ideal self. So how would you want to respond? If you were the person you wish to be, how would you respond? Or how does someone you admire respond in that situation? 
identify that ideal response, the way you would want to interact with your family members. Remembering that you do your best thinking when you're calm and confident and loving. That's when you can have the greatest impact on teaching your children and helping them learn to improve their behavior so they can grow up to be successful, competent adults. So once you've identified your ideal response, maybe practice it. Visualize yourself doing that. Athletes do this all the time. A golfer will practice, will visualize, just visualize dropping the perfect putt. And he does it so often and in such detail that it happens exactly as he had visualized. And that's because your mind doesn't know the difference between what is real and what's imagined. Think of the last horror movie you saw and, and how your body reacted almost as if there really was a dangerous creature right there in the room. Well, once you've thought of your ideal response, what you want to have happen, start to prepare, come up with a plan. Some examples are the mess in the kitchen. In a calmer moment, it could be discussed as a family. Maybe rules could be set in place about the use of the kitchen. Now, many parents hesitate. They are concerned about imposing rules on their children. They feel like it will stifle, stifle their child or somehow damage them. But the reality is children need structure. The most chaotic environment to raise a child is where one where they don't know what to expect. They don't know an adult may suddenly become angry and start yelling at them and they don't know why, they don't know what's expected of them. They don't know when dinner will be served or what, or if they'll have dinner. That's chaos. Structure gives them stability. It helps them feel secure. So having a structure within your home Having guidelines that the privilege of using the kitchen comes with the responsibility to clean up after yourself. When you know you have a Zoom work meeting, plan ahead. Discuss it with your children. You need to give that meeting your attention. This is the location of the house where they need to be, and here is the activity they need to be doing. If electronic devices are the issue or the trigger in your home, discuss it as a family, set up a basket on the counter. And when all family members, mom and dad included, come to dinner, all electronic devices go in the basket so that the family can enjoy a conversation during the meal. There can be guidelines for nap time and sharing, and importantly, self-care. Remember what the airlines say, put your own oxygen mask on first. Make time, carve out that precious time where you're nourishing yourself. Give yourself a break. 
lunch out with friends, a nap if you need it. But take care of yourself. Keep your reserves, your, your battery charged so that you can give your best to your family. Then the last step is simply implement your plan. Do it. Follow through with the consequences that have been established. Change your mindset, your mental state. Come up with more positive thoughts rather than assuming the worst is going to happen. Trust that things will work out. Feed your mind with more positive thoughts. Now, this energy has provided, this emotion has provided us with the energy we needed to do what would improve the situation. What do we do with the energy, the emotion after that? Well, what would, just imagine what would happen if you saved every food wrapper you ever use. You just kept piling it up in your car, in your house, around your kitchen, on your counter. That would be a disgusting, stinking mess. You wouldn't do that. So don't do that with your negative emotions. Once you have resolved the situation, the argument, you, you've apologized, we, you've resolved the issue, let it go. And this sounds easy, but sometimes we tend to hold on to those emotions. Robert Burns wrote a poem, Tam O'Shanter, and it's about a man who goes out drinking with his friends and his wife is fuming at home. And there's a line in that poem that reads, quote, that she was, quote, nursing her wrath to keep it warm, unquote. She wasn't going to let it go. She wanted to stay mad so she could let him have it with both barrels. There comes a time when the emotion no longer serves you. In fact, it can actually be making you sick. So release it. Now, there's several different ideas about this. You can pretend it's a plastic bottle. Just put all the emotion in that plastic bottle and just squeeze it and recycle it. Be done with it. Or it's leaves. Just toss them up in the air and let the wind carry them away. A lot of people find release in journaling. When you journal, when you're writing down exactly how you feel, you get those negative feelings up out of you and onto paper. And then come up with the most creative way and satisfying way you can to destroy that paper. Burn it, shred it, crumple it up, drop it in the mud, whatever helps you accept that it's gone. You're getting rid of it. And one of the most powerful ways to release negative emotions is forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we condone what someone did. Forgiveness just means we don't want to carry this burden anymore. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves 
And sometimes we need to forgive other people. Well, what's the most effective way to teach your children? The most powerful way is just your example. Your children are watching you. They see how you respond when a car cuts in front of you on the freeway. They see how you resolve an argument with your husband. They're watching you. So as you develop this talent, this ability to manage your emotions, to use that space to choose your response rather than to react, you're teaching them a vital life skill. In addition to your example, you can talk about it. It's okay to come home from work and tell them you had a really bad day at work, but show them how you handle that. Show them how you release that, that anger, that frustration, how you find, how you find it, a, an activity you enjoy and shift to, into that. How you decide, I'm leaving that at the door, now I'm home. Let them understand. And then you can help them work through their emotions. Sometimes it's helpful to role play, to just walk through, okay, the next time you and your brother want to play with the same toy, let's role play how we could handle that. Now, in his book, Emotional Intelligence, Daniel Goleman talks about the importance of practicing these skills when you're feeling calm so they become more automatic when you're triggered. Visualizing it and practicing it. It's powerful. Now, for more information, I invite you to go to feelingtriggered.com. I wrote an ebook called Feeling Triggered, Change Your Response. And you can just go to that website. That's just feelingtriggered.com and get that ebook and reach out to me through my website, healingyourfamilies.com. I would love to hear your feedback, answer any questions, and be interested to hear how this ebook helped you. So next week, we'll be talking about how emotional intelligence can help you become a better parent. So join me next week at the same time. Until then, love yourself, love your family. Let's make the world a better place by strengthening families. I'm Emma Lou Penrod with HealingYourFamilies.com.